Montgomery Jones and the Wizard's Revenge by L.H. Damelin, read by Peter Gilchrist. Chapter 2 It was a quarter to four when Douglas and Monty Jones set off down the silent, empty, darkened streets of Douglas' neighbourhood, along pavements wet with dew and under street lamps cocooned in misty, glowing halos. The air was heavy with the leafy scent of autumn and it was so quiet that Douglas' footfalls and the rustling of his coat seemed especially loud within the stillness of that early Sunday morning. Are you okay in there, Uncle Monty? whispered Douglas to his minuscule uncle who had taken refuge in one of the front pockets of Douglas' anorak. I am as snug as a bug in a fleecy coat pocket. It's great in here. You'd be amazed what a pocket looks like from a bug's perspective. <laughs> Lots of lint balls, of course, and quite a number of dust mites as well. Oh, hello. An old wrapper with a bit of chocolate on it. Now, that's fantastic. I'm starving. <laughs> oh, that's gross, Uncle Monty. Don't you want some, some ginger biscuits? Uh, you know, at least it's fresh. No, oh, no, no, thank you. This chocolate is really hitting the spot. Do you know, ever since my bout of insectness, for want of a better word, I constantly crave high-calorie foods. I assume it's because of all the energy I use for flying. <laughs> ah, chocolate. The breakfast of champions. How delicious. Keep off, dust mite. Disgusting little creatures. Soon Douglas had come to a tree-lined lane and stopped outside a pretty house with a red roof, terracotta pots brimming with pink and red azaleas, and a huge old oak tree that was busily depositing acorns and leaves on the front lawn. <laughs> As uh, their, fr their front gate really squeaks, he whispered, pointing to the small wrought iron gate at the front of the house. But Jim always hops over the wall after school, so I'll do the same. There's a spot uh, here where there's, there's nothing to trample. Okay, just, now just don't hurt yourself, said his uncle. Don't worry, I've seen her do this a gazillion times, said Douglas, hoisting himself over the low red brick wall surrounding the house, and dropping down effortlessly on the other side. Good guy, my boy. But how are you going to let your friend know that you're here without waking up the whole household? said Montgomery Jones, flying out of Douglas' pocket and perching on his shoulder. You'll see. <laughs> it's quite nifty, Douglas replied with a grin, making for the oak tree. That's some treehouse, said Monty. Yeah, Jem's dad built it. He's really good at woodwork, said Douglas, climbing up the narrow ladder that led through a trapdoor into the large wooden treehouse nestled in the bough of the old oak. What's really great about it is it's almost the height of Jem's bedroom. And a few months ago, we made this Moore's code blinking light device between her room and the treehouse. <laughs> there are two wires between her bedroom and here, and we rigged up a clicker switch, you know, an old Morse code key, and light bulb at both ends connected to batteries. So if you want to contact the person in the room or in the treehouse, you just click the switch and the bulb flashes at the other end. 
Kick away, Johnny. Although, if she has as sound a sleeper as you are, we may be here a while. Oh, no, she'll wake up soon enough. I forgot to mention there's also a buzzer connected to her bulb, replied Douglas with a laugh, clicking away at his Morse code key and peering out at the treehouse window towards his friend's bedroom. About, I suppose, a minute later, the light bulb next to the clicker switch on the small table in the treehouse began to flash, and Douglas waved at someone peering out between the bedroom curtains. He gestured to her to come to the treehouse, and she nodded and disappeared from the window. After a few moments, the back door of the house opened, and a girl with long, light brown hair in a blue dressing gown that seemed too big for her and unicorn slippers ran down towards the treehouse. Soon, a freckled face with its puzzled smile and large blue, tired eyes was coming up through the treehouse entrance. You'd better have a pretty good reason for getting me out of bed at four in the morning on a Sunday morning. My soon-to-be ex-friend, she quipped, climbing into the treehouse. I went to bed so late last night, watching old movies. If I've had three hours sleep, it's a lot. Oh, really sorry, Jem, said Douglas. It's just that we're in a spot of difficulty and you're the only person who can help us out. What, what do you mean, we? Oh, do you promise to keep an open mind and not flip your lid because this is pretty weird stuff? Have you ever known me flip my lid about anything, Walker? I mean, seriously. You told me all about your adventures with your eccentric uncle two summers ago, and I believed you. Anyone else would have thought it complete baloney, retorted the girl. Eccentric? Is that what you call me, Douglas Walker? Eccentric? said Montgomery Jones indignantly. Well, I may be many things. I may be brilliant. Inventive, adventurous, creative, courageous. Yes, and a tad overweight come to mind, but certainly not eccentric. I must say I'm rather hurt. I'm not eccentric indeed. Jemima Hall, I'd like you to meet my uncle, Montgomery Jones, said Douglas with a smile, pointing to the shoulder on which his part insect uncle was sitting. Uncle Montgomery, this is my good friend Jemima Hall. Cripes, exclaimed Jemima. Good heavens. I mean, it, 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 it's good to meet you, Professor Jones. Douglas has told me so much about you, although he didn't mention that you, that, that you were quite so um, tiny and bug-like. Hmm? Yes, well, this is a rather recent development. Ordinarily, I'm 100% human. It's good to meet you too, Miss Hall. I, I would... <laughs> I would shake your hand, but given my current state, said Montgomery Jones, flying up to Jemima and hovering in front of her face. Jem, we really need to get to school so we could use one of the microscopes in the science lab. I don't suppose you could borrow your mum's key by any chance. Uncle Monty, Jemima's mum, Mrs Hall, is our high school biology teacher, said Douglas. There's no need for that, replied Jemima with a grin. If you're anxious to get a better look at your uncle, the only thing that will do is a dissecting microscope, and I've got one. 
It's my mum's. But actually, she gave it to me last year for Christmas. It, it, it's great. I use it to look at insects all the time. Come on, it's in the basement with all the other stuff. I have my own science lab of sorts, Professor Jones. It's my pride and joy, she added shyly. This is the first time I've heard about a secret basement lab, retorted Douglas. Am I not worthy of entry? <laughs> it got nothing to do with that, snapped Jemima. To be honest, I keep it to myself because I, I don't want people getting the impression that I'm some sort of, a, I don't know, science nerd. I, I think that ship has already sailed, said Douglas with a laugh. <laughs> well, I, 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 say, I, I say, who cares what people think, screamed Uncle Monty. I think it's fantastic that you will borrow she Jemima. It's certainly most fortunate for me that you do. For heaven's sake, call me Monty. I can't remember the last time anyone referred to me as Professor Jones. I find it rather unnerving. Now, before we do anything else, I think an explanation of my current state is in order. Well, I can certainly see something, Monty, whispered Jemima excitedly. There's definitely a silvery film of some kind that you're completely coated in. It's a bit like a layer of metallic paint that's strange. Is that the film is almost transparent and the silvery bits seem to have movement. They zigzag and shimmer and bounce around. It's all very odd. Have a look, Doug. They were in the basement of Jemima's house and were trying to be as quiet as possible while Douglas and Jemima took turns staring down a microscope Montgomery Jones, who placed himself on the microscope stage and was trying to keep still. You see, you see, you see it too, said Douglas excitedly. It must be the bubble. Uncle Monty, I think your theory is correct. Uh, very gratifying, said Monty. Most excellent, most excellent indeed. Now all we need to do is find a way of damaging the bubble layer. It's off to the world of fantasy for us. Uncle Monty, there's something else I have to tell you, said Douglas. Promise me you'll stay calm. Oh, well, what is it for crying out loud? Spit it out. Well, now that I can clearly see you under the microscope, I notice that you look really, really old. I'm no spring chicken, my boy. I'm certainly getting on, as we all are. But I think you're being... You're just a little harsh. You're only as old as you feel, after all, said Monty indignantly. But, Uncle Monty, your hair is chalk white, and your skin is so wrinkled and lined and thin. If I didn't know any better, I'd have thought I was looking at a man in his in his nineties. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to have to say it, Professor Jones. I mean, Monty, I, I, I've been thinking exactly the same thing. Oh, that's just wonderful, just peachy, exclaimed Montgomery Jones, staring at his reflection in the small round mirror that Jemima had retrieved from a mom's handbag. You know what it means, of course, that mayfly part of me is winning out. I'm rapidly aging and rapidly dying. You see, being only part insect has bought me considerably more time than if I'd been all insect. But it would appear 
you know, not nearly enough. By the look of things, I'd be lucky to be alive by day's end. And we don't have a moment to spare. We must get to the world of fantasy and find someone who can reverse the spell before it's too late, explained Douglas. But when, when you say we, I assume that includes me, said Jemima. Yep. If you had a role in exposing magic in the absolutely out-of-the-question rule, you're coming along for the ride, whether you like it or not, said Douglas. You excited? Well, sir, certainly, but I'm also unprepared, remarked Jemima. For one thing, I, I'm still in my pyjamas, and for another, if I were to suddenly disappear without trace, there's a good chance my parents will take the whole thing rather badly and call the police, the fire brigade, the old hospitals within thirty miles radius, and who knows who else? Oh, now that you mention it, I'd also be in pretty hot water with my foes if I didn't let them know I'd gone off somewhere, said Douglas. Well, then, this, this is what I suggest, said Monty. Douglas, run with home, write a note to your parents, telling them you're off on an excursion with Jemima, and you won't be home till supper. Then pack a bag with some supplies and necessities. Come back here as soon as you can. Jemima, go upstairs, get dressed, eat something, and then do the same. In the meantime, I'll familiarise myself with your various chemicals and apparatus. Hopefully, by the time you've returned, I will have figured out a way to efficiently remove the bubble coating. It was about five o'clock when Douglas and Jemima rejoined Montgomery Jones in the basement and found him buzzing around in an understandably anxious and impatient state. Calm down, Uncle Monty. You're going to wear yourself out. Have a, have a little bit of chocolate. I brought lots for the journey, said Douglas. <laughs> I have no time for food, I'm afraid. Must be off before sunrise, replied the uncle. Did you figure out how you're going to debubble yourself, said Jemima. Well, assuming the bubble is shrunken but identical in composition to when I popped it with a buttered pencil, it should easily come off with a good application of oil. I see you have a little bottle of mineral oil in your chemical collection. So if you'd kindly provide me with just a few drops of the stuff, Jemima, I'll apply it liberally, and that should be sufficient to dissolve the bubble, activate the absolutely out-of-the-question rule, and we'll be on our way. Gosh, wow, wow, I hope it works, says Douglas excitedly. Well, me too, although I must admit I'm a little nervous, said Jemima, opening the bottle of oil and placing a few drops on a watch glass. Is this, uh, uh, is this enough, Professor? Well, it's more than enough, Jemima, thank you, replied Monty, landing on the glass. Here goes nothing. And with that, Montgomery Jones scooped up a generous helping of mineral oil in his tiny cupped hands and proceeded to rub it into his face and his arms liberally. Is something supposed to happen, asked Jemima, after a few minutes had gone by. Well, the, the last time we were sucked into the world of fantasy it was pretty dramatic, said Douglas. So I think it's safe to say the oil didn't work. Oh, I'm afraid you're right, Douglas, admitted his uncle, dripping and shining with oil. I coated myself in this disgusting goop for nothing. 
Now I'm literally a, a fly in the ointment. I can only assume that with shrinking, the bubble has changed its structure and is no longer susceptible to oil. So, um, uh, what, what now? said Douglas. Well, plan B, of course. I just haven't figured out what that is yet. Well, I've, uh, I have a suggestion. It's a long shot, but it may work, said Jemima after some silence. All suggestions are welcome, said Douglas. He will indeed, agreed his uncle. I was just thinking about the mirrors. You said the wizard indicates that he'd use the dust from the mirrors to make his bubbles, Monty. And under the microscope, we can definitely see what appears to be tiny silvery mirror fragments attached to you. So I was wondering if we should be thinking about a way to alter the mirror fragments and change their reflective properties. Perhaps, you know, perhaps that'll do the job. What a, what a, what a wonderful idea, exclaimed Montgomery Jones excitedly. Well, will I ask the wizard how his bubbles work? He said that the outside of the bubbles were made of reality and the inside of fancy, but perhaps it's uh, simpler than that. Perhaps the mirror fragments in the bubbles reflect reality off their surfaces rather than being truly real. And if the fragments were tarnished somehow, if they lost their reflective ability, it would allow the absolute out-of-the-question rule to see the fantasy behind the bubble coating. It's, uh, yeah, it's certainly worth a go. But how do you plan to tarnish the mirror fragments, asked Douglas. Well, old mirrors were made of silver, so I'm thinking we could, we could use hydrogen sulfide. <laughs> Montgomery Jones and Jemima simultaneously with a laugh. Hydrogen what? said Douglas. Hydrogen sulfide, my boy. The stinking, smelly, poisonous gas that rotten eggs and swamps reek of. You see... Hydrogen sulfide tarnishes silver. It turns shiny silvery surfaces black. And that's just what we need to stop the mirror fragments from reflecting reality. If indeed that's what they're doing. Well, I, I don't see any rotten eggs or swamps around here, remarked Douglas. How are you going to get your hands on some? I have some iron pyrite in my rock collection and a few drops of acid from my chemistry set on some powdered pyrite in a test tube should make sufficient hydrogen sulfide for our requirements, said Jemima with a grin. My word, how fantastic, Miss Hall. I couldn't have thought of a better way myself, said Monty excitedly. But, but hold, hold on, didn't you say the stuff is poisonous, said Douglas? Well, yeah, yes, pretty nasty, but I, but I only make a very small amount. Just enough to stink out, but not actually kill us, said Jemima. After all, your uncle is tiny. But because he's so small, it, it, won't, it won't take much to kill him, retorted Douglas. We don't have much choice, I'm afraid, Dougie. It's either take a chance with a stinking gas or wait. To die a horrible insect death, said Monty. And I'd go for the first choice any day. Now, come on, Jemima, let's give it a go. So that's what they did. 
Jemima got out her rock collection and removed a small piece of shiny iron pyrite from it. And Douglas helped her crush it into a fine golden powder with her porcelain mortar and pestle. She added a pea-sized amount of crushed pyrite to one of her test tubes and then very carefully removed a little dilute hydrochloric acid from an amber glass bottle using a glass dropper. Are you ready, Professor Jones? I'll be me, Monty, she said excitedly. Excellent, Miss Hall. Add the acid, and just two or three drops, mind. We should begin to smell the gas very soon after that. And when we do, I hold my breath and fly over the mouth of the test tube as fast as I can. If the gas interacts with my silvery bubble coating, we should see its effect pretty quickly. Okay, then, gone. Off you go. Good luck to us all. Here, here goes, said Jemima. With that, she placed two drops of the acid onto the powdered pyrite in the tube. A few seconds later, the basement filled the horrible sulfur smell of rotten eggs. And without wasting another moment, Montgomery Jones whizzed off Douglas's shoulder and flew directly over the mouth of the test tube that Jemima had placed in a rack on the narrow wooden table in the centre of the room. Phew! That wasn't pleasant in the least, explained Montgomery Jones, landing on the illuminated microscope stage so the others could observe any changes in his appearance. A second longer guy in that stuff, and I would have suffocated for certain, he gasped. But it's, it's worked, shouted Douglas, unable to contain himself. Your face, your arms, your clothes, your wings, every bit of you is turning a strange, bluey black. <laughs> Doug is right, Professor Jones. You look all, all, all sooty, agreed Jemima. By the way, any objections to me opening a window? Not at all. <laughs> no, no, this pong is becoming overwhelming, said Monty. But she didn't get the chance, for suddenly there was a tremendous electric blue flash, a deafening bang, and then complete darkness. <laughs>